And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Great. Um, so I'm not sure how much you know about this podcast and what I've been doing. I yeah, I heard some of it. Heard some of it. Yeah. Um, it's basically. friends of the coming up next work and welcome to this week's ramble my sincere apologies in the delay in the upload of the episode i've been uh, on a very intense film shoot this week um which has been just uh, an outstanding and amazing experience so i'm not going to ramble at all at the head here other than to say that this week's guest is a phenomenally accomplished practitioner of his craft he is an alexander technique teacher he's going to go into what that is and what that means what the alexander technique is and some of the people that he works with some of the people that he trains include the likes of leonardo dicaprio sir ian mckellen juliette binoche this is a real treat Uh, we've been looking a lot at the behind the curtain of the australian film industry and now i have the absolute privilege of bringing you a little behind the scenes look at the American film industry. So this week's guest, Jean-Louis Rodrigue. Enjoy my interview. And I mean, you have had an extraordinary career and have worked with some of the greatest performers of all time uh, on some of the greatest shows ever made in such a particular way that is all about you know grounding down and finding what your highest intention is i mean on a spiritual level that's what i take away from the alexander technique would you mind um just for my listeners explaining what the alexander technique is sure it's been around for over a hundred years and it originated here in australia hey Hey. everyone So Alexander was an Australian actor, just Mm. like you. And uh, in those days, he wanted to be a Shakespearean actor. Mm. So that was his intention. And um, right away, when he started to do it, he found out that uh, he had problems. Right. Basically, his voice was not developed. Mm. He wasn't breathing. He didn't have enough body. And he felt very tense. So he felt that he could not express what Shakespeare had in mind. So he spent many, many years studying himself Mm. and finding out what he was doing. So when you're talking about dedication to the art, that's what it takes. Mm. So he spent about nine years here in Australia, and then he moved to London to, uh, to discover what interfered and how he could be better. Mm. So the Alexander Technique is about uh, learning about one's habits that, that prevent you from being free, but not only in acting. I think there's some people that just do it in sports. Mm. Some people do it in, um, in their daily uh, life activities. Mm. And... Um, I've worked with people, uh, for example, in theology of all things, government. Wow. Uh, I know you have a new prime minister. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I think that 
the, uh, your old prime minister was not very expressive mm. <laughs> and not clear. Not quite aligned. And not quite aligned and not uh, very honest in some ways. And, uh, and I think communication and, and expression mm. is dependent on a, on a certain kind of body and breath. And that's what the Alexander Technique, it's a study of oneself. Mm. So you personally went from being an actor and then you went kind of down this Alexander rabbit hole. Yeah, this was back, oh, this will tell me everybody how old I am. <laughs> but I started in the, uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, I was an actor in New York and um, I had asthma. So that was a major problem with me in terms of um, every actor, uh, every director and teacher, they would say, uh, speak up, you're not breathing. I said, well, I can't breathe, I have asthma. <laughs> Mm. So I had to deal with that. And, uh, and somehow, by a joyful experience, and I'll never forget that first class I had, mm. I had an Alexander teacher come into the acting class, and it was this Russian teacher from the, uh, from the Moscow Art Theater, wow. Sonia Moore. And, um, and she, the, this teacher, Alexander teacher, put her hands on my neck, and first of all, I just felt so free, I couldn't believe it. But then I took some of the biggest breaths I've ever taken in my life. And I, I said to myself, how is she doing that? How can I, uh, someone outside of me allow me to breathe so deeply? Mm. And that was it, that was the magic. That got me really curious, and after that, class I continued uh, studying with this teacher in New York and then I, I needed private sessions and then I um, was admitted to the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and that's where I trained as an actor and they had Alexander everywhere mm. even the stagehands of the theater would um, uh, practice Alexander so everybody was doing Alexander mm. and what was it about this technique that you felt aligned and connected to, pun kind of intended? I, uh, <laughs> uh, basically what it does, it helps you to really feel more clearly who you are, not only as an idea, but as actually as a reality, mm. uh, meaning your feet going into the floor, your whole spine being um, long and free, and uh, to have so much less tension in your whole body. Mm. I mean, uh, just to go into the technique, there's a fundamental aspect of the technique, the relationship between the head, your head and your spine, that helps you to be much more natural the way animals are. Mm. If you look at, um, at most animals, they seem pretty poised and ready. And that's because they don't have as many uh, tensions between their necks and whole bodies. Mm, they don't carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, our everyday activities, repetitive activities like uh, typing or uh, texting mm. um, or just sitting. Just sitting is a, it's a horrible thing. Mm. You know, it just screws up your whole body mm, i feel like even just sitting here with you i'm like checking in yeah i'm glad okay. properly on the ground 
breathing deeply into my into my diaphragm and yeah. into my core. Yeah. And also, when you're talking about actors, um, um, they're extraordinary. Mm. The actors that I that I've worked with, you know, Hilary Swank, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Helena Bonham Carter, so Ian McKellen, Juliette Binoche, Ian McKellen, all these actors are very much, they know themselves mm. and they are very present in themselves so they can take that presence into their character mm. and, they, and they do it in a very a brave, heroic manner. And to do that, you really have to know what you have mm. and know how to use it. Mm. That kind of is a good segue into um, something I was curious about with all these people kind of taking it off you for a second. Mm -hmm. All these amazing people that you've worked with, if you've kind of noticed any consistencies with things that, uh, with qualities that can create success or that can hinder, success is the wrong word, but... um, you know, the pursuit of, uh, of one's intentions or goals or whatever that is, are there commonalities in that? Oh, yeah. Um, well, they love, they love acting. Mm. And like you, actually, like you, they don't care how long it takes or um, they want a character to live. Mm. That's, their, uh, uh, that's their common thing. So they want to tell a story and they will do everything they can to discover how to do that. Mm. So um, especially people at that level, they work harder than the people that are starting. They work much harder. Mm. Uh, So they know how to research. They know how to bring it into their bodies they don't mind repeating over and over and over. Uh, for example, Juliette Binoche, she, she might get a script and have it for five, six, seven years before that movie actually gets made. Wow. So she not only does she talk to the director, she's very much, she selects directors mm. that she wants to work with, and um, and writers, good, really good writers. So you need a good script to, to start with. Mm. But then she gets involved with the character. She explores, experiments, does extreme uh, uh, research. Mm. And, and she's very physical. Actually, all these actors are extremely physical, if you can imagine. Ian McKellen, um, he does Alexander. They all do Alexander. Mm. What were you going to say about Ian McKellen then? Uh, but Ian McKellen, um, uh, when he comes for his Alexander lesson, he comes as if he's a, a, a newcomer. Mm. You know, he says, oh, I'm, I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> 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 it's funny yeah, to hear from uh, Ian McKellen mm. say, I'm terrible. I, I, I need help. Mm. And then recites the most eloquent Shakespeare you've it's, ever heard. Well, it's, uh, well, he tells me, you know, uh, then I go see him on stage and he is absolutely divine. Mm. But, but it takes work. It's mm. a lot of work. Yeah, I think the, one of the most consistent kind of messages through this podcast is about the hard work. Mm. And that's kind of the launching point, you know. You've got yeah. talent, great. 
now go and do the hard work. Um, so how did you then kind of make the transition into becoming a technician and as, as in within the Alexander technique mm-hmm. and start to become kind of known as this guy who does this amazing work? With me, uh, I loved the feeling of it. I fell in love with uh, um, the high. Mm. <laughs> uh, I started really feeling uh, the best I could ever feel. So I got really curious and I said to myself, what well, I want to feel like this. I want to mm. be like this every day. And it wasn't enough for me to have my one class or two classes a week or my one or two lessons a week. So I decided I wanted to do it every day. So the only way to do it every day was to um, enter a training program for teachers. Mm. And luckily enough, uh, there was one at ACT, the American Conservatory Theater. So I applied, I got in, and devoted myself every day for three hours I would train Mm. every day and it became part of my life and I was doing it really for me I I wasn't doing it for to teach people and then after it takes about three years 1680 hours (laughs) is yeah the magic hours when I graduated uh, somehow I uh, inherited someone else's practice Hmm. so basically i had musicians uh singers dancers actors and i had a full practice so before i knew it um i was practicing all day long Hmm. and uh but mainly performers mainly performers and then um i was in san francisco and i got um i got into training musicians for, with the LA Philharmonic, mm. the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and they sort of embraced it. And, uh, and that was it, you know. Uh, before I knew I was teaching at UCLA and uh, the theater school there. And, uh, and somehow the movie actors started coming to me one after the other, mm. all of wanting the same thing, which was how to enter the character, how to be more physical, how to do what they were doing better. Mm. What was your intention behind all of that? If you know what um... uh, Yes. No, no, that's a good question. Uh, my intention is I've always loved movies. I always loved uh, theater. And uh, I had a great deal of love, especially for... American actors at that time. Mm. Now I love all Australian actors. <laughs> but no, I had, I had a great love for American film. And here I was in Hollywood. And before I knew, you know, I was working with directors. Um, and uh, it's amazing to get a phone call and hear someone say, oh, I am Lawrence Kasdan. I would like to work with you, or I am Juliette Binoche. I would like to work with you. Um, mm. It's it's quite remarkable, mm. and it just you know keeps it keeps happening. You know, thirty years later, thirty five years later. Mm. Is there there's like a sense of a sort of a higher purpose for you 
that you're really helping to elevate the work. Absolutely, and and uh, as a collaborative part of mm. the team. So often, often for me, lucky me, is I'm embraced in the process. Um, so the producer and the director speak to me. They give me the script. At, at times when you have a Leonardo DiCaprio, he is one of the producers, and, uh, and uh, he brings you in. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's exciting mm. to be able to physicalize this world. Mm. What's, uh, what's Leonardo DiCaprio's process like as a, uh, as a human being? He is one of the hardest working people I've ever met. So he was willing to take every day a certain amount of time uh, you can imagine mm. what a crazy schedule he leads. Uh, but he worked with me, practice. I gave him everything that I do here. Uh, right now I'm at the Howard Fine Acting Studio mm. in Melbourne. And uh, he was willing to do everything that I do with every, all, every actor. Mm. So he didn't want to be treated special. He just wanted to get the character to live. Mm. Needless to say, the character that I was helping him with was really difficult because mm. he had to age, you know, from um, 19 to about 60. This was uh, J. Edgar? Yes. Mm. That would have been quite a workload for him. It, it, it was a workload, and, uh, and, uh, but he took it seriously. He really did a lot of work, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Mm. I really did think he just was amazing mm. something you said just before um about a love for australian actors now mm. and this seems to be something that has become a trend sort of over the last five or even ten years in america and in american content is this love of australian performers and i was watching a video that you presented on youtube which was talking about as from about five years ago talking oh, yeah. about masculinity mm -hmm. and the shift in masculinity and he actually cited Russell Crowe as someone who is very much in his masculine energy yeah. talks with a deep voice <laughs> he's he's on his voice what do you do you, do you see a shift in what it means to, like in I guess gender roles not specific to, to male or female it's just this energy and the polarity seems to be becoming more balanced almost mm -hmm. in people do you see a kind of um, change in that uh yes yes i think i think that uh, for the good i mm. think that women and men are becoming more equal and um i s still it's not as equal as i would like to see it but i think that uh women actresses are given leads as action characters and it's happening more and more and more uh, definitely it was Charlize Theron mm. uh, you see it in her but I think that's been um, uh, Sigourney Weaver was someone else but I think there's more of that um, which I think it's great um, I think also that um, with men right now it's funny about that interview because when it was done, mm. um, I, I, I got a lot of controversy. I got a lot of letters that people did not agree with me and all that. 
But then, uh, as we have seen in the past five years, actually, I was right on the money. Yeah. I was right on the money with what's going on. And, and actually, why Australian actors are getting all the work in L.A. is because Australians um, are, willing, are willing to be as raw and powerful as they are, mm. but also they're also willing to be gentle. They're not afraid of their softness. Um, the Australian actors are, are always willing to show the flaw. Mm. Let's put it that way. Um, they're not afraid of the flaw. American actors are terrified of the flaw. Right. Um, they want to be perfect. You know. Mm. So, um, so there's some good things about Australians that it is very charming to Hollywood. Mm. You know. So. Um, so mm. it's a good thing mm. it's and a good thing I guess that a whole idea of perfectionism is really kind of the death of creativity and the death of art yeah yeah you have to embrace you know, and actually uh, what I'm teaching all the time is really to reveal at everything that you are including including uh, your twists and turns that, that makes it interesting mm. do you think that that's uh, a quality that people should take kind of into their lives um this idea of obviously you don't want to be on the tram and bawling your eyes out and reciting shakespeare but this idea of kind of giving all of yourself and stepping fully into yourself and not striving for perfection but actually giving all of who you are to the world yeah uh you know this reminds me of uh something that your your uh Kate Blanchett mm. said, uh, Kate said she was working with Woody Allen and she was working on Blue Jasmine. Mm -hmm. And um, this was an interview that she gave for NPR. And she was saying that um, she thought the character, the Blue Jasmine character, was a uh, comic character. And, and, um, Woody Allen said to her, well, th th this is not a comedy. And she turned blue, you know, she literally turned blue. She said, oh, I've been playing it like a comedy. Yeah. But uh, so what she learned was that there's buoyancy in all human beings. Mm. And so we are all, that there's something very special and pure and um, about all of us. That's what makes us human beings. But at the same time, we have a lot of chaos in us and, and we're quite distorted. So we can have the buoyancy in us. And our job is really to show all the, all the variety in mm. us, you know, from our beauty and perfection to our, you know, our darker place, mm. you know, or our chaos. That's interesting. Yeah. Chaos is interesting. Chaos is very interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, really in life, there's nothing. Like, it, it is all chaotic on one level. There's not really any control. And actually, chaos or conflict, if you don't have conflict in drama or in, in, in any kind of really good film or play, you're dead. Mm. There's nothing going on. Um, I think that um, one thing that I'm concerned about, this is what I'm concerned about, mm. is that there is a lot of mediocrity out there, you know, shows and plays um, and films that are not very good. 
the stories are not very good and uh, they don't have enough reality and tension in it. Um, what makes a good story is one that's, that rings true to us and that, I, and that you say, oh, it's my story. I see myself in that. Mm. I, I feel that. I feel that. So that's really um, the main thing that has to happen mm. in a story. So when that happens, you know, you're, um, you're very fortunate. Mm. A good story is what everybody's looking for these days. Good story. Mm. I think good art, like a good relationship, is a very clean mirror to the person who's observing it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I certainly think that there is a lack uh, of well-developed material. Yeah. Um, I think people are very quick to just kind of throw something out. And when you're competing with reality television as well, it's, it's difficult because that's, it's so popular, but yet it's so crass and underdeveloped. Well, oh, don't get me started with that. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oop. Oh, my God. There's plenty yeah, of swearing uh, in the uh, podcast. I've been... Uh, yeah, I, um, 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 I have a personal war against reality television mm. because actually it's all the same. It's interesting that most people think that, that it's, there's nothing real about reality mm. television right. because it's all scripted and it's always the same um, um, structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think it kills creativity and, and it gives the wrong idea to young, young actors that that is acting and mm. that is what you have to do. You just have to get up there and just be real. Mm. And there's nothing real about acting. Acting is, uh, is really skill and artistry and imagination. And, and yes, you're telling something about a, uh, a human experience, but not, you're doing it in an artistic way. Mm. You know, something that can elevate or illuminate our human experience and make us feel passionate. Mm. That's a good tie-in back to the beginning about intention mm. and how important the intention that we have behind what we do is. Um, and as actors, I mean, that's what we're doing in every moment of every scene, whether it's a, a, a small beat where that has an intention behind it or it's a, a, a super objective that has an intention behind it this is what is driving us forward and that's as human beings that's also i think what's driving us forward as a filmmaker that's what drives me for what is my intention my mm-hmm. intention with this podcast is to create a sense of connection and a sense of um uh inspiration for myself and for people who might have an interest how important do you think this whole thing is and how sort of grounded in your work is that it's everything for me, it's everything. Um, one of the things that I do um, is that I create a space wherever it is that I'm working here at Howard's school or at my studio or um, if I'm working with a, on a movie, the, you know, the film set mm-hmm. becomes a place where we, um, it's a temple, a special place where we create a world and, and um, it does 
demand enormous skill to have this place where you can um, do the impossible, literally. Mm. Literally. Uh, sometimes you think that you're going to do the impossible. Um, you know, I worked, um, I was working with Ang Lee on Life of Pi. Wow. And, um, and I came in um, in, the, in the development process where they were still writing the script. So I had the uh, screenwriter, David McGee, and the director, and we're all trying to figure out how to put this in a form of movement. Mm. So they were asking me, how does the tiger move? You know, um, a big question he asked me, how do I see God in the face of a tiger? Mm. I mean, uh, it was crazy. <laughs> it, it was crazy. But uh, these questions and this, uh, the movement patterns of the tiger and the boy were all written into the script, mm. literally. So then when they went on, on, on location and with the technical people, they were able to have a base uh, and they really followed the script pretty closely mm. because it was too technical. So yeah, so it's, um, it's beautiful when, when you create this very safe special place for people to grow and develop themselves and find the characters mm. um, I love that I think that's everything you know if you can't have that I have a, a container so to speak mm. for you to explore and experiment and not have to be pushed to just put on a result right away mm. you see um, to me, that's mediocre when all we want is just the result instead of really having the process. Mm. And I know sometimes it's almost like a luxury to have that time to develop. But all the good, all the, all the good movies, all the good shows are developed slowly. Mm. It's this kind of um, this idea in life at the moment that we that we have to it's all about results it's all about outcomes it's all about the final product mm. but everyone's no one's stopping to kind of enjoy the journey and enjoy the process yeah. and really take the time to build something you know it's like john lennon said life's what happens when you're busy making plans yeah. it's that idea that yeah. it's the, that it's all about the journey and the outcome's great but as soon as we have such a large investment in just that moment, that final um, thing. It's kind of it kind of loses the point to an extent. Yeah, and um, uh, one actor comes into my mind who's who's so process oriented. Uh, uh, Paul Dano. Mm. Um, I love Paul. Um, I I was able to work with him on several films and so I've seen him grow gradually uh, from uh, someone that was quite tense and he was known for his tense characters uh, um, The Will Be Blood if you watch the character in that film mm. he's very uh, constricted and, um, and um, neurotic mm. and well that's Paul you see, I mean, he did it very well, but that's, you know, that's very much the habits of Paul. Yeah. So he said to me, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to play a character that's 
expansive that allows uh, his direction, his intention to come in a different way, mm. not the way that I do it habitually. And he was able to do that. He was able to really build a character that was so different from who he is. Mm. And, and the, the, this is Love and Mercy, that, you know, the Brian Wilson film. Oh, yeah. That's just, I don't know if it just came out here or, or is sure. it coming out? Let's say it's coming out. Yeah, it's coming out. And he did a beautiful job. And he really did go somewhere else. And he really did develop himself. And um, mm. so I love actors that take their whole career very seriously and creatively. And they, they you know, develop and they continue to learn all mm. the time. Mm. It's just incredible. It's beautiful. It's kind of at that edge, your edge. That's where the truth and the authenticity lives. Yeah. Mm. I, think it's, I think Camus said something about that. Um, I'm conscious of your time. Um, we need to wrap up in a minute. But there are a couple of standard questions that I Please like do. to ask people. The first one is, do you remember the first time that you ever entertained anyone and you kind of got that feedback that kind of made you go, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life? I like to tell the story of when I was a kid and I have nine cousins and we'd write a show about our family and then put on the show for the family. Yeah, uh, it's you, you just robbed me of my own mom. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It was in front of my family. Uh, but uh, I, I had these very bizarre performances where I would actually go into my bedroom and rip the sheet mm. and I would drape the sheet all around me so I would come out <laughs> very much like a Roman, like a toga. And I would, uh, I would do a little show for my, my parents. Mm. And, um, and I knew then, I don't know what my parents thought of me, but they probably thought I was totally insane. Mm. Uh, but I loved it. I, I, and it was, it was so imaginative and so whole body and mm. I, I felt totally free and uh, and included a um, transformation of my voice wow of my energy um yeah that was that was the first time that i started to really enjoy mm. performing putting on someone else's oh outfit. yeah 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 and she and i and the only thing i had were, were sheets yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think of this this kind of uh phase of actors talking like this that's kind of going on it's kind of that you mean whispering and being uh yeah, it's being kind of that off voice thing that was started yeah. by Alec Baldwin um oh I think it's bullshit <laughs> I usually people do that when they don't know what they're doing yeah because um I think if I if I were if if we were at a restaurant and I wanted to um uh, seduce you my voice my match my mm. my intention so I might be kinder and sweet to you, and but but if I was going to, uh, it, that would be ridiculous for you to have that kind of voice all the time. Mm. Um, I think it's also it, it's a disconnection from their bodies, right? Because the really good actors that I see do not speak like that. Mm. You know, they just do not speak by. Um, grumbling or whatever mm. <laughs> yeah it, it is a terrible habit mm. i don't like it 
Yeah, and it's funny how much these habits, I think not only as artistic folk, but uh, in life in general, we have all these habits that are actually armor that sort of keep us yeah. safe yeah. or keep our vulnerability safe and perhaps stop us from addressing the work that might need to be done to actually step into who we are or to step into a character mm. fully or understand the truth and the authenticity of whatever that is. Uh, and you said it, authenticity and truth and importance of what we're saying. You know, a movie, it's a compressed reality mm. of a story. So every minute of a movie must mean something, mm. right? So uh, when characters are speaking, it is their opportunity to, to illuminate the story mm. and to clarify the story. So why would you be mumbling? Unless that is part of the character, mm. you know, and it's written that you have to mumble. Mm. Or have to growl, <laughs> but uh, but otherwise, if that's not written in, you know, you're you're robbing the audience from understanding what the story is about. Mm. You know, you want to um, allow the character to speak. You know? mm. So, how did you get the tiger from Life of Pi to stop growling? <laughs> <laughs> no, we wanted to have more growl. Yeah. No, no, there were real real tigers there. You know that mm. that. The only thing that I did is um, I, I spent, um, you're going to laugh at this, but I, I was an assistant to a uh, um, zookeeper <laughs> in uh, Los Angeles. Huh. Uh, so I spent uh, months following the zookeeper, watching, and actually uh, shoveling the shit. This was a job that you undertook as part of life? Of my life? research, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did it actually before uh, Ang Lee got it. Uh, it was supposed to be Jean, Jean-Pierre Jeunet. He was going to direct it. Mm. So he asked me, he said, would you go to the zoo and research the relationship between the tiger keeper and the tiger? Mm. And I said, gladly. And, um, and I was able to um, be a volunteer. Mm. I wasn't paid for this. But I, you know, I hung out with the tiger keeper and you got to shovel shit. I got to shovel shit and feed the tigers and and just observe and be closer. And I learned a whole bunch of stuff about how to relate to these animals and what happens. And and I funneled all that information to Ang Lee. Mm. You know, so he knew what what happens in the in the zoo. It was great. It was really really great. Um, it was. A pleasure to watch these animals and mm. and kind of uh, I mean I never got into the cage myself but it, but I was close mm. close to them. I mean I know it kind of goes without saying but that's quite a remarkable level of uh, research which I think is what it requires to be working at that yeah, level. Yeah, and and I also the best part of the the, the tigers is the smell. Uh, they have such strong pungent smell mm. uh, the only way to describe it is completely wild <laughs> and i know what wild smells like uh and um it was amazing uh, and i was able to kind of you know funnel that into into the script mm. so um there's a scene there's a scene where pi goes to the zoo with uh, his the girl that he's um 
kind of dating or seeing. Mm. And he's talking about um, Richard Parker, the tiger, and saying, look, look at how he looks. Look at the look at the spine. Look at the ears. You know, so so there was a whole lot of physical information that was transmitted, mm. and it only came from the actuality of being with a tiger and mm. and 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 what you see in the tiger. Mm. So um, it was great that it was written right into the script. It's mm. very amazing. important. Thank you so much, John Louis. I like to uh, wrap up this yes. podcast by asking, what makes you silly? Oh, how do you know I'm silly? Well, everyone's silly. Yeah. I just uh, like to expose it. I I am silly because I just think this is this whole thing is such a joy to me. Mm. I'm having fun all the time with it. Mm. And if you don't think that this is fun, this is the most fun thing I could ever do. So that's what makes me silly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What an amazing and incredible human being Jean-Louis is and what a privilege it was to interview him. Coming up next, friends, it's episode 20 and what an outstanding guest I have lined up for you to celebrate this awesome milestone. You may know her as Roberta Williams from the Underbelly series. You may also know her from shows like Tangle and Offspring. Coming up next, Cat Stewart. Have a tremendous week, friends. <laughs>